I wrote this down as two readings for Claudia, and she did it just exactly the way I told her to. <coughs> the problem is, it's all one reading. I'm just so used to breaking them up, old, old habits die hard. But our reading this morning is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Listen to God's word. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to, I'm sorry, New Year's Day, you don't really want to have to think about anything. But I'm challenging some assumptions this morning. Uh, assumptions from the world in general and assumptions about scripture in particular. We create this idea of opposition where no opposition really exists. You remember, well, you might not, the children's sermon, I'm not talking to you. They're moving today to Las Cruces. We don't like them anymore. <laughs> the children's sermon I did about love and hate, and I used a coin, a quarter, and I got two of the young people to stand on either side and I held it out in my hand like this. So they each could see only one side. And I said, what do you see? And the person on this side said, I see George Washington's head. And I asked, what do you see? And this person said, I see the tails of a quarter. And I said, well, they're opposites, aren't they? And they wouldn't answer because they knew me and they knew it was a trick question. <laughs> I said, they're not opposites. They're two sides of the same coin. Keep that in mind. When we talk about things like fast versus slow, they're opposites, right? Wrong. Come on, you know me. What is the opposite of fast or slow? Still. That's the opposite. Fast and slow are still movements. But to sit still is the opposite of fast or slow. Which is better? McDonald's fried or Burger King's flame broiled? You're wrong. It's Taco Bell. 
We have this idea that left and right are opposite. No, they're not. They're two sides. In the middle, is that's the opposite of left or right. Are you on this side of the fence or that side of the fence? Well, either one, you're in good shape. Sitting in the middle is when you don't really know where you, where you want to be. Love and hate are not opposites. They're both emotions. Both of them. Whether you love someone or hate someone, those mean you care. One's a little more negative than the other, obviously. But the opposite of both of them is apathy. Were you here when I wrote this? <laughs> PK's anticipating everything, and she's been right so far. Look out. Then let's look at faith and doubt. Anybody here ever have doubts? Anyone who's been a minister can tell you nobody has more doubts than a minister. Because we think about this stuff all the time. But faith and doubt are not opposites. They both come from a desire to know the truth. The opposite of faith and doubt is apathy. Just like love and hate. We call Thomas Doubting Thomas. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we have to admit that life gives us plenty of reasons to doubt. Why was God so mad at me that he split the big pinyon tree in my backyard and missed my garage by that much? Thank goodness. Maybe God wasn't mad. Maybe God protected my garage. I don't know. Does God care about garages? Anybody know? <laughs> I don't really know. But it depends on how we look at everything. And we have doubts. But do we also have faith? Yeah. Faith means we trust God, whether we understand or not. But faith in the Reformed tradition also means that we are constantly seeking understanding for the things we don't know. Guess what? As Presbyterians, you exercise your brains. I know, it's disappointing. You might have to actually do some homework this week. I want to believe that there was a, uh, an alien craft that crashed at Roswell. I really want to believe that, because that would be so cool. I have no proof. I would like to think that everybody's telling the truth, and they probably are as they remember it. But I see no proof, so I doubt. Anybody here ever seen a dead celebrity anyplace? Elvis, Tupac Shakur, anybody? I saw Elvis once, he was flipping burgers across the street and singing blue suede shoes as he did it. Anyone here doubt? Don't raise your hands. I promise I won't throw anything at you anyway. Anyone here doubt the virgin birth? It's hard to believe, isn't it? 
Have you never wondered about that? I don't know. I know it's never happened before and I don't recall an occasion of it happening since. So I don't know. But I can believe. What can God not do? If I accept the fact that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, then I have to accept the fact that Jesus might have been born of a virgin. And whether he was or not does not change who he is. We build these dichotomies, these verses. This versus this. And there's no point in them. They create illusions in our lives. I could also call, and I think you could too, we could call Doubting Thomas Brave Thomas. To stand up and say, look, I, you've seen him. I haven't seen him. I'm not going to believe it. But here's some things about Thomas that we often we, we gloss over. The disciples are holed up in this room somewhere. They're not going out because they're afraid. Well, that's not really true. Thomas wasn't there. He was brave. He went out. We don't know why he was. Maybe he went for chips and dips or something. There's just no way to know. But the other disciples were so uncertain they were afraid to leave. And Thomas was the one who went out. And he went out while it was possibly dangerous. So I propose to you this morning that the shadow of a doubt is not a bad thing. The shadow of the doubt that covers us is God's wings, God's grace protecting us. The doubts are there for a reason. God has a purpose for all of us. We get to come up with the plan, but God has a purpose. Think about it this way. Who was the disciple that Jesus loved? What? Yeah, the tradition says John. But you know what? The Bible doesn't tell us who it was. Don't know might not have been one of the 12 because you know the 12 were the apostles. Jesus had a lot of disciples. We can doubt that it's John, but I would make the case that it may well have been John. We know John was the youngest among the disciples. We don't know how young, but think about it this way. Let's entertain our imaginations for a moment. According to Mosaic law, he may have been as young as 14. He had to have been a grown man. But grown men at that time were, we would look at, it, at our young people differently. James would be grown, probably married, have a career. Come on. Let's go. You're behind. I think that Thomas also could have been Jesus' favorite because if he was that young, he was not jaded. He still believed in things in the world and all his hopes hadn't been crushed out of him. 
He still thought things were possible. Now, who would you rather spread a message to? Somebody who has some hope? Thomas probably still trusted the promise that life presents to us. And he's still willing to entertain the possibility, the possibilities that older people have abandoned because they've learned too much from life. Thomas hasn't gotten there yet. And he's likely to believe the good news of love and compassion and grace because he hasn't been beaten down yet. That'll come. So I think it could have been Thomas. There's another reason, though. Jesus came back a second time. Why? To see Thomas, I think. You can't tell me Jesus didn't have more important things to do at the time. I think he came to see Thomas. Maybe he came back and Thomas was special to him because Thomas was analytical and rational. Thomas wanted to know. He wouldn't even take the disciples' word for it. They knew what Jesus looked like. There was 11 of them. They all saw him. And Thomas says, I don't care what you saw. I want to see. And I think that's a trait that would have been a little bit rare as it is sometimes among Christians. Maybe Jesus knows the analysis and rationale that minds that employ those techniques are not doubters. They're merely seeking the truth. Thomas's doubts make him important for us because he's proof that God loves doubters. So if you have doubts, you're safe and you're in good company. Did Jesus berate Thomas for his doubts? You have a questioning spirit. It's a demon, and we must get rid of it. No. Jesus said, blessed are you, because you have seen. But more blessed are those who haven't seen, and they're going to believe. Thomas admitted his doubt, and like the man said, to, I believe, help me my unbelief. That's an honest request. I've been told as a child, I don't know about you, that Jesus forgave Thomas's doubts. Well, why didn't he say that? I forgive your doubts. Because there was nothing to forgive. Doubting was just fine. It's not sin. It's not evil. We and our ancestors assume so many things that just aren't true. Rational thought and analysis of facts, we've been taught at times are a sign of weak faith. When in reality, they're just signs of someone who is seeking. That's all. We may have been taught that doubting is a sin. 
But honest doubt leads us to look for the truth, doesn't it? This honest doubt, I think, is the kind where somebody says, I doubt it, ergo, it's untrue. I doubt that there's a Bigfoot. I hope there is. And I hope we never, if there are, I hope we never find them. It would be better for them. But I hope, maybe. We're also told sometimes that people who doubt have no faith. It's not a lack of faith. They're just playing the devil's advocate for us. We really, really need to open up our ears and hear what atheists are questioning about us. They have honest doubts. And I guarantee you, we don't have answers for most of their questions. We want to pretend that we do. But maybe we'd be better suited to tell them, I don't know either. I accept it on faith. I don't have proof. So in this new year, let's do something a little different. Let's step forward in faith by sharing our doubts without fear. It's okay. I'm here to help you with that. I can't fix your doubts, but I can guide you to finding the answers you need if they're there. Let's step forward in faith by searching the dark places together without fear. God's with us. Who's against us? And finally, let's step forward in faith with the certainty that God loves doubters. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong. By humble submission to John's baptism, Christ joined himself to humanity in its need and entered upon his ministry of reconciliation in the power of the Spirit. Christian baptism marks the receiving of the same Spirit by all his people. Baptism by water represents not only cleansing from sin, but a dying with Christ and a joyful rising with him to new life. It commits all Christians to die each day to sin and to live for righteousness. In baptism, the church celebrates the renewal of the covenant with which God has bound his people to himself.
seated. In all the giving of this season, our Lord calls us to be generous with each other.